Hello, it's Puno, and you're listening to Girl Boss Radio. Today we have a very spicy, spicy guest. Her name is Hari Neff, and I gotta say, this was such a fun episode. First of all, I felt like Hari was interviewing me, <laughs> which I love because it just made me feel really comfortable. And I'm comfortable, but you can always be a little bit more comfortable, you know? And Hari brought that out of me. Right from the get-go, we just went straight into it. It was spicy. My mom's Korean, so it's always started off talking about the New York Times. We talked about the term girl boss. I wanted to know what she thought about girl boss. Rejection. And we really got into the why of what you're creating. Why are you creating things? Who are you creating it for? I really enjoyed this conversation. It was super real and she's so freaking charming. Anyways, we got a good one here. Let's just get into it, shall we? How are you? I'm great. I'm good. I'm here. (laughs) One to 10. One to 10. I'm going to call it a 6.8 today. Maybe a seven. Hell yeah. Yeah. Seven's good. Seven's fine. I mean, probably more like a 6.5. I guess I am above average. You know what, Puno? I almost wore a really messy shirt today as a conversation starter, but then I didn't. It says the New York Times is so fucking dumb. (laughs) But then I didn't want to be messy, so I didn't wear it. (laughs) But now you're making me wish I had. Damn it. That would have been a statement. And that would have just been your opening here. You would have just been able to start the campaign now. (laughs) Well, I mean, listen, the New York Times, you know, it's not totally unreadable, but sometimes they're, um, sometimes they take it a little too far. I had a whole argument about the New York Times with my friend, the writer, Devin Diaz. She was like, why are you so worried about what the New York Times is going to write about you and your friends? And I was like, well, it's not like I really give a shit at the end of the day, but the New York Times has sway and is important and people read it. Mm -hmm. And she was like, not in my world. I was like, what do you mean not in your world? She's like, I choose not to subscribe to the opinions of a big legacy newspaper. And I was like, that's all That's all great, but there are people who aren't you or aren't me who read it, and to deny that it's important is to live in a sort of fantasy. And she thought that was really mean, and I shouldn't have really phrased it like that. And then she cared about your opinion? <laughs> I mean, no, like, we have fights <laughs> like this all the time, but then I saw these shirts for sale, and so I got her one of these shirts and I got one for myself too. And I'm like wondering what my life would look like if I decided that things like the New York Times weren't important. (laughs) And you didn't commit this morning. You let messiness get in the way. (laughs) No, but see, I'm being messy anyway. (laughs) I came here to be messy. Yes. Well, okay. You know, you have very strong opinions about the New York Times. I am so curious about Girl Boss. What is your opinion on that? Right. Okay. So I, I went on this pod. At first, I was like, oh my God, am I going to go on the Girl Boss pod? Because, okay, I need to be honest with you, Puno. Girl yeah. Boss is kind of like a weird word among me and my friends. It's a word we sort of use ironically to make fun of people, to make fun of other girls who care about work too much and who are like, too committed to the grind and too committed to getting power, which is something that, in my opinion, no one should really covet. And also like committed to making money, which is just something that creates more inequality. I could go on for hours about that. But I wanted to go on the pod to talk to you about how we're defining girl boss in this context and how we're forging ahead with the definition of girl boss that 
potentially isn't in service of power structures that already exist and economic structures that are oppressive and exist. I, I actually took a poll on my Finsta. Should I go on the Girl Boss podcast? And the two options were like, go on and be spicy or die cool. <laughs> and um, most people voted to go on and be spicy. So I'm here and I'm going to be spicy. Yes. <laughs> yes. Not messy. But spicy. Not messy, but I'm already being so messy and so spicy. No, but seriously, Puno, like, you know, obviously there's a new regime over here. You know, it's not Sophia doing the pod, the original girl boss. There's a new face. Mm. There's a new vibe. How, how do you define it? I feel you. The first question I asked Sophia when she asked me was like, well, wait a minute. Why aren't you doing this? It feels like a trap. But then, <laughs> you know, I was just like, come on. Like, why are you leaving it? to be real. I, I've known her for a while and I, I always knew what she tried to do with Girl Boss in the beginning. And I felt like, look, the word is meh. I, I also haven't used the word in like the best way too sometimes, but also the word was a brand that was kind of taken over by everybody. And so the narrative wasn't being able to be controlled in the way that you'd want it to. The difference for me, though, is ex especially like seeing the community that they've grown here. There's a lot of eyeballs still, and there's a there's a big group of people. And if I can show people what it's like as a small business, Korean, Filipino, Texan that just has never been on the Forbes list or I'm not cutting that down, but I'm just trying to give a different perspective on things. Being able to kind of be a doorstop to letting other people come in and tell other stories and just open it up. Open what up? Open up the conversation. Open up what we're redefining success. Yes, like Girl Boss has been more about money and about bringing in the cash and growing your numbers and all of those things. And I myself have like gone through phases where I'll, I'll think about that as well. But I think there's like a healthy balance for each individual person at each phase in their life. And it's really not trying to prescribe so much like, do this, do top 10 this. Like, let's just take a step back and like really think through what's going on here. I'm going to be really honest with you. When I was looking into Girlboss, I read this article about the demise of Girlboss. And I didn't think that that article was very fair. Well, what did, it, what did it say that you didn't think was fair? So basically, the demise of Girlboss is talking about different female co-founders being canceled. And just certain people getting canceled. And mm. while, yes, there are definitely some people that should have been canceled and it sucks to have to feel like you don't have a place or a way to be able to have that conversation. But the conversation that wasn't being had in that article was why did that happen? What are all those decisions? Even down from what kind of business do you create and how much money do you take and what are the consequences of taking money and how does that affect you? Like the entire unfolding of decisions that were made with all the people and how that can actually affect culture and how that affects individuals feeling like they don't belong or it, sometimes it's just some people are really nasty also but like how did that person get that way you know and like can we talk about that too as opposed to just saying well that's now the end of girl boss that's the end of the story on that right i think that we're at a crossroads in terms of culture and feminism. We are no longer in the Trump era. We are no longer in this moment where there is a wide, wide road and a wide, wide appetite for reactionary feminist posturing. We're no longer in a political or cultural climate where the average woman feels endangered necessarily by the administration and doesn't necessarily feel like there's a misogynist in the White House, whether there is or there isn't at this moment, I am not at liberty to say. However, things like Girl Boss and things like The Wing, which I was a founding member of, 
really blew up in the culture of Trumpism and blew up under this essentially climate in the liberal sphere being like, women are under attack. We need to shore up all the resources now. We wield this very valid danger identity card as women, regardless if we're like, you know, white college educated upper middle class women, which is like generally who was running the show on these things. It's like, we're women, we're in danger. It's time to put on our bossy pants, boss girl, girl boss pants and shore up as much power and money as the men, because Mm -hmm. we can do it just like them. And I was somebody who was at the center of all of that, particularly on the trans end of things. I was elevated as this like hyper endangered minority among all these other women, despite the fact that I was white, despite the fact that I was upper middle class, despite the fact that I was college educated, despite the fact that I had, you know, a really great blue sky income from success as an actor and a model, much of which came early to me because I was trans and from the attention I got from being trans. And yet I was being told every day that like my life was in danger because it was the Trump era. And now that we're out of the Trump era, I can say that the Trump era was like the most prosperous time of my life. I booked TV shows and movies and magazine covers and I got paid. And all of these terrible things that everybody said that was going to happen to me, they never happened to me because other aspects of my experience, other than being a woman, took precedence and shielded me. And these are the nuances that I think are lost when we talk wholesale about girls and women and feminism. Like, it's not really the girl thing that is a strike against us in this day and age as much as class, as much as race, as much as education. I think that's where a lot of the backlash came from. At least in the case of The Wing, it was essentially employees of color who spoke up and were like, This was an exploitative environment, a hierarchical environment. In a word, the same complaints that were levied against patriarchy by white women were then essentially repeated by women who were lower on the so-called hierarchy than the white women who seized the power when the men of the liberal sphere kind of lost it during Mm -hmm. the Trump era. And the power structures of patriarchy and like, you know, men in charge essentially were recreated and reproduced by white women during this era. As a white trans woman was like welcomed into the White House during the late Obama era and was pushed onto the red carpets. I mean, not pushed. I went. I was like psyched. I was in the eye of the storm of liberal feminism 2016, 2017, 2018. And what I found there was a bunch of people, regardless of whether they were women or not, whether they were trans women or not, who just wanted to get a fucking book deal. And like just wanted to like get their little fucking TV show on the air and just wanted to make a little money and just wanted to get a little press and get a little attention. I am just as guilty of that as I am as anybody else's. But I was being told that I was saving the world and changing the world (laughs) by going for these things, which kind of fucked with my head a little bit coming out of it, because now I'm trying to figure out a way to work with that without playing by the rules of a game that I don't want to play. But the girl boss word comes back into play among my friends where we talk about the things we have to do if we want to get more out of our work. As much as we talk our shit, like the girl bossery of it all gets the better of us at the end of the day. I was just talking to my therapist today about how like, I have put work first for my entire 20s. And I now feel like kind of spiritually bankrupt because Mm -hmm. when I don't get anything out of the work, I have nothing to fall back on because I'm not putting as much energy into my friendships or my relationships, you know, familial, romantic or otherwise. 
And this is what Girl Boss is all about. It's about careerism, essentially, at its core. And I'm 28 years old, staring down the barrel of what the rest of my life is going to look like if I continue to put work first, which I have. People talk about work-life balance, but I don't think of it like that. I'm always trying to figure out how can I work and be myself or explore who I am. And I think that's why business and like making content is so attractive in terms of having an income because it's a place where I can do a little bit of the damn thing. But that's kind of my goal. It's to figure out how to be my most and like, I, I don't know, like podcasting in general, the audio platform, it's still kind of like new to me. And I'm just trying to figure out how do I do this in 30 minutes? How do I do this in 50 minutes? But to me, that's actually really the fun part is doing those little tweaks all the time. And maybe that's because my first job was really like a UX designer. And so I love like picking apart what I'm doing and then trying something new. You know, when everybody's like, oh man, I got so many ideas. I like love working on lots of ideas, trying them out. What is a UX designer? You know, like when you have a website, then the buttons that you need to click, we're kind of like the architects that do the blueprints. And so we'll say, okay, click on that button. And when you click on that button, then it goes over here. And sometimes it goes a little bit beyond that. And it talks about like user behavior and user intention and um, all that. The way I think about it, I, I grew up in the time of flash microsites. So I always think of it like, what kind of party can we make? <laughs> How fun can this be? And I'm trying to, I'm always trying to go back to that, that like uh, Z Frank time. I remember Carmen Sandiego CD-ROM time. Yes. Oh, I <laughs> loved those games. That was fun internet. Oh my God. I mean, yeah. Talk about fun internet. Yeah. I mean, I remember learning about Flash when I was a kid and learning HTML to make my MySpace. I I mean, that was truly the golden age of the internet. I mean, this is like the first essay in the Gia Tolentino book, Trick Mirror, about like when the internet was fun, which is when we were all making little Zangas and it had essentially not been profitized yet. And we hadn't seen the emergence of like the big internet tech companies and all of that. Before that, it was just kind of like our little GeoCities paradise. Is that kind of like a nostalgic world that you live in as a web designer? Oh, 100%. I'm always going back to that. And you can make a new world. You can bring random people together And it it doesn't have to make any sense. (laughs) That's the best part about it. I mean, same. Literally same. And when you say party, I'm stricken because party is a word that I've been using in my pitches for the television show that I wrote. Party is also a word that I use when I describe why I like acting because making a film or a TV show, you know, any shoot, it's like a party. And anything that makes me feel connected to other people in that moment, and like anything that makes me feel small and like the pressure of being a perfect individual is taken off, that's what I think is fun. But I also wonder sometimes if like party is a word I tend to inject into these scenarios that are simply work. And like are simply industrial. Mm-hmm. And are these are these words that I'm putting in there to make it feel fun when in reality it's not fun? Well, yeah, I, I see that. I know what you're talking about. Cause to me, a party is like when I have a conversation with somebody and they're down to clown. They're like down to get into hypotheticals and like just banter. A real party is, is kind of the same thing. We're all like giving a little. And at the end, we have this experience. Yeah. I mean, I love to party. I love a party. I love partying. I miss parties. I mean, that's what I did before any of this stuff. I was a party host in New York City. They pay me $200 a week. I was in college. I thought I was so fab. And I would have a little table at the club and I would invite people. And like that to me was the perfect job. Wondering if maybe I didn't have it nailed back then and I should just go back to doing that full time. (laughs) Well, I mean, I'm just glad that you're, I think it's healthy 
to think that sometimes what you're doing is bullshit, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, it's hard to justify consistently putting my creative output at the mercy and judgment and evaluation of people that I don't necessarily think know better than I do. I'm working within a system or I'm trying to work within a system and I'm wondering how to work within it and not feel totally demoralized if I should work within it at all, whether I should maybe try going in a side door or a back door instead of a front door. My ambitions, and yeah, here's that dirty word, ambition. You know, I have them. I do. Like, I want to make a TV show. I want to make movies. I want to write for screen. I want to act in the things that I write in. But this industry is so disgusting. There are no mid-budget films anymore, not really, that aren't horror movies or genre movies. I love horror movies and genre movies, but in the 70s and like a weird pocket of the late 80s and early 90s, you could get a really like weird left of center sort of darkly comic or slightly surreal movie made in Hollywood just because of where the industry was sitting at that point. Um, At this point, it's all about numbers and streaming. And that's obviously been exacerbated by COVID. And, you know, I'm like rocking up to these little pitch rooms with my little pitches. You know, with my little trans protagonists who like are assholes. I'm not like trying to redeem my community. I'm trying to write critically about liberal feminism. I'm trying to look behind my shoulder at the Trump era and talk about how we justified really bizarre behavior based on claims that we were in danger because of our identity. Like I'm trying to like get into all this shit. And nobody wants to go there with me. Like, Damn. The ne- like Then you're like, like it's a party? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's also a party. I mean, but that's yeah. the... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, it's, it's really... It's hard. And I can feel the rejections kind of mounting and nudging my brain and my potential creative output in a direction where it's like, okay, like, how can I make this more accessible? How can I make this more entertaining? Sometimes that's a good thing to ask yourself because I do believe in entertainment and I do believe in seduction and I don't believe in alienating your audience. I'm trying to give them a poison cupcake, you know, like I want them to enjoy the cupcake, but I also want them to be like, wait a minute. I thought this was going to be delicious and my stomach hurts a little bit. Oh God, who am I? What, what am I? You know, I mean, that, that's don't look in the mirror. Right. And I'm, and I'm like sitting here on a podcast, 28 years old, an untested storyteller talking about all the things I want to do. When in reality, there's a lot of things that I wanted to do, which I have done, but in my view, I'm like a total neophyte and there's still so much ahead of me and all I have is hypotheticals and ambitions. That could literally change tomorrow with this pitch, which is exciting. But also, statistically speaking, it probably won't. And I have to be at peace with the fact that I've worked like four years on something and I could get really, really, really super close and then it won't happen. And like, how do I conceive of that as not being a waste? I don't deserve this any more than the next person. I'm not entitled to this. I'm not going to post a notes app complaint. I'm not going to say it's because of anything. Like, it's either right or it's wrong. For that person that was in that pitch room with you. Yeah. Yeah. And there's nothing I can do about that, which is why I'm questioning, maybe I need to think smaller. Maybe I need to make an indie movie that... I secure the financing for. I'll join that. 
you are already in the industry. You've already done stuff. You've already proven yourself in some way. So you're just like, well, let me just try that first. Right. The, the front door is right there. So I've been like trying this front door shit. Yeah. For a second, but one of my best friends, Devin Diaz, the writer, you know, she's always quoting Black Eyed Peas song, Boom Boom Pow, <laughs> talking about, I'm so 3008, you're so 2000 and late. It's like, I'm really trying to be on that 3008 shit. Like, <laughs> like really I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not saying that I'm an oracle, but like, I'm definitely trying to think past the present moment or reckon with the past moment to forge a future moment that is more palatable to me than the present moment. That's quote unquote what art should do. Comfort the disturbed, disturb the comfortable. Not that what I do is art because it's not fine art. It's not contemporary art. It's entertainment. But it's the language that I have available to me and it's the language that I understand best. I I think that I'm always trying to figure out how can I, like, reach more people. I'm always talking about the very small steps to get to the next thing. This episode is brought to you by Vitruvi. They are designers of beautiful diffusers and essential oil products. I've got one and it's nice. And I'm actually here with the CEO and co-founder of Vitruvi, Sarah Panton. Hey, Sarah. Hi. So what does scenting our homes with a high quality diffuser actually allow us to do? It really allows us when we scent our house to decide how we want to feel. So whether that looks like something really refreshing in the morning to bring your energy up or something kind of calming in the evening, much like you would choose a bespoke aroma for your perfume or the cologne that you choose, I believe that scenting can have that same customization to your space. Where do you put your Vitruvi? Like most people, I've been spending so much time at home and having certain areas that I want to transform from, say, AM to PM or reuse a space, whether my office becomes a yoga studio in the afternoon. Mm. What I noticed about Vitruvi is that it's just more of a refreshing smell. And then it's also so beautiful and unique. It's almost as if it's a statement piece that kind of doubles as decor. Why was that important to you? Creating a product that goes in someone's space should be intentional and it should be beautiful. And while it's also functional, it should add a level of sophistication to a room. And that really shows up in the design of our products. And there's this interesting science of scent association where when we start using aroma, our brain starts creating a habit around it. And so add a little bit of escapism while I'm at my desk really prompts me to take deep breaths. This sounds great, right? Well, visit Vitruvi.com backslash girlbossradio and use the code girlboss20 to get 20% off your next purchase. That's V-I-T-R-U-V-I dot com slash girlbossradio and use code girlboss20 for 20% off your next purchase. Hey, Carly. Who know? Oh. Hey, how's it going? It's good, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, spoiler alert, I took your Squarespace course, and I got to tell you, I was really hesitant starting, and I kept waiting to start. But once I had that free trial that you offered, yes, I got so addicted. I just kept messing around, and then before I knew it, my site was actually done. Yes. Yeah. It was awesome. You really just need to get a trial? And just mess around. Get in there. Get in there. Yeah. Press all the buttons. Press all the buttons. And if you mess up, and I'm putting that in air quotes. You see me. Yeah, I see you. The quotes are in the air. You know, wah, wah. Yeah. You could just start another trial. Yeah, that's what I love about it. If I change my mind about my aesthetic, which I do, mm-hmm. we all do. I mean, it's so last season. I mean, it's always last season. Yeah. But I could mess with it until it was right, mm-hmm. which was awesome. Yeah. Well, guess what? What? If you go to squarespace.com backslash girlboss, you can get a free trial. Damn. Yeah. And then whenever you're ready to launch, you can use the offer code girlboss Mm -hmm. 
for 10% off your first order. Oh, so I can finally launch this thing. For 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. Finally, yes. Yeah. Okay. I know. All right. That 10% is like, you know. It's legit. It's legit. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's. It's a discount. It is a discount. It's actually very helpful. I'm not even going to lie. Yeah. How's your Wi-Fi? It's a little slow. My router's from the late 90s, so. Get out. That's it. Is it not supposed to dial when you turn it on? That. Have you heard of Wi-Fi 6? I didn't know there was a Wi-Fi 5, so no. (laughs) Before, routers were supposed to deliver fast internet just for like your laptop and your smartphone. Right. But now we got consoles, we got tablets, we got 4K TVs, we got thermostats. Yes. All these smart devices are like fighting for bandwidth in your home today. And Netgear has Wi-Fi 6 products. They have improved coverage, fewer dead zones, and a more productive and less frustrating Wi-Fi experience. I feel like that should be in the Constitution. Life, liberty, less frustrating Wi-Fi. You got to go check out netgear.com slash business and then use the code GIRLBOSS10. Get yourself 10% off and 4x more Wi-Fi. Netgear.com slash business with code GIRLBOSS10 for 10% off. That's it. Puno, you always hook me up. (laughs) I love that we're just always talking about deals. I love a deal. (laughs) Where are you now in your career? And where are you trying to get? And how are you going to get there? Those are all very bigger questions that I don't answer. I promise you, I tried. Oh my gosh, I went to a tarot card reader. I like talked to an animal medium. I like, did vision boarding. I tried, but I I don't like it. Like it's not a fun way for me to execute a project is to like think that big. But I, like you, I know that it's, it's important to ask those bigger questions. There's a part of me that's like, well, that's just not how I've rolled since whenever. And I'm fine. I like, I'm really happy where I am right now. Like, yeah, some days it's not that great. And some days it's like, uh, I don't get to do like the bigger things that I want. And it's frustrating to work with not having a lot or not having a big production or whatever, but I don't know. (laughs) Wait. So, so you consider yourself like capital H happy right now? Yeah. Oh my God. What is that like? So this is why I feel like I'm most happy because right now I'm happy because I wanted to build this world that I get to be myself and I experimented with it and it works. For example, I have to do Facebook ads and at first I was really like, this isn't going to be great, but I made some, a 60 second thing that I thought was so funny and I made it with someone else and they thought it was funny. Not taking myself too seriously, but at the same time, I really do want to teach you something. I think I found a perfect blend of being able to like seduce, but also not lose myself in it, you know? And it was super lo-fi production wise. And I don't get cringy to watch myself again on that, that thing, which is like a nice feeling (laughs) to make something that you'd rewatch yourself. When it comes to your business, this is just pure ignorance on my end. I definitely like read about you and what you do, but like from your perspective, what is the product that you're selling in your business? It's a course about how to make Squarespace websites and we do video editing And we're working on one right now for personal finance. It's called Finance Friends Forever. And we have this 3D world. And every single level you upgrade, you you get a new friend. It's like a pixelated friend that goes with you on your journey. Where you learn to, like, handle your finances? Wow. That's literally something that I need to do. Yeah, like I, I, I want to be, teach people how to look at interest rates and how to make a pivot table on a spreadsheet. You don't have to love it, but I just want to teach you how to do it just in case. Wow. Yeah, see, like, 
This is where the paradox of the girl boss rears its head again. In a perfect world, we wouldn't have to like be on our finances in this cold, hard world where we need to think about money all the time and be super concerned about finances. But like that literally is the world we live in. It's so fucking corny to me anyway to have this idea of money and making more of it and like being smart about it. And this is like as a Jew as well, like, you know, all my parents do all day is like, tell me that I need to be responsible with my finances. They were financially minded people, entrepreneurial people. My mom was like, I found an Instagram account that you should really follow. And she sent me the girl boss Instagram account. I was like, girl, I know it. Like, I was like, like I grew like, you know, trust me. So like I, I grew up in this environment where it was all about like saving your pennies and being smart about money. And then, you know, of course I want to rebel against my parents, but also I want to rebel against this idea that money is important, but I can't deny that in America it simply is whether you're a man or a woman, or a non-binary person. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's something that you have to deal with. And this is the paradox of it. Every, but like the girls that I know who are most vocal about being anti-girl boss are actually yeah. the biggest fucking girl bosses because, <laughs> you know, they're trying to amplify their opinions and put their stamp on whether it's media or whether it's New York or whether it's Hollywood their loudness and um, I guess freeness with their voice and with their platform about being anti these popular things gets them their own platform, which they then leverage to level up and like get their little projects made and get their little book deals and get their little films financed and like all of this. And like, it's fab. Like these are people who I root for, but it is an unnavigable paradox. The more we criticize the girl boss of it all, the lean in of it all, the Ariana Huffington of it all, the Maureen Dowd of it all, the Sheryl Sandberg of it all, as much as we criticize it, we can't navigate away from it unless we're like independently wealthy wives. Mm. And, at I, the, and like, <laughs> that's, that's like the issue here. Or, or I, independently wealthy heiresses or daughters. I'm, I'm none of those things. I guess for me, even though I'm the host, right? I'm not like, like, woo, like girl boss. Like that word is like <laughs> so fucking, every, it is my identity. Like, I think that that's why I wanted to take this this thing was because like, I'm just here to have a conversation. I mean, maybe my like Filipinos, we're always criticizing each other, but like with a joke, it's, I think that's healthy. Like, why not? Like just, yeah, let's talk about it. And I think this black and white of this is wrong. This word is, is wrong. And this, like, we need to ignore it. I think that is definitely up for discussion. Why not? If it really makes a lot of sense, and I can't speak for all girl thoughts, this is purely my opinion, but they are definitely having those conversations because it's like, we're not, you're not idiots. Like that's the conversation that's happening. But what I'm hoping is, is that we can just all just talk about the nuances way more than just being so, well, it's totally, this is a hundred percent written off now. Like I'm, I'm really tired of just writing off so many things because we're missing a lot, I think. And not every single situation is exactly the same. Yes. Yeah. I mean, generaliz- general, generalizations <laughs> yes. are really hard to make today <laughs> because as soon as you say one thing about something, yeah. something else is going to be like, hey, that doesn't apply to me. <laughs> oh my God. Didn't you see that post, <laughs> the carousel post that said that's not what we're thinking today. 
Hey. That's like the most cringe thing I've ever done. Um, we can, we no, can cut that one out. No, 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 no. You know what? As, as that one meme said, I am cringe, but I am free. <laughs> I want that shirt. <laughs> yes, I am cringe. Oh. I'm cringe to see. I'd be wearing all black and I'm like, you know, pretending that I'm cool and that I'm over it, but I'm actually, I'm so fucking cringe, babe. <laughs> I, I, I'm so cringe because I really mean it and I really care about it. <laughs> I mean it and I care about it. And. Talking about this stuff makes me emotional because it's just like against the stuff that you like learned when you were a kid or that I learned. I should say I learned as a kid, which was that I can be anything that I want to be and I can do anything that I want to do. And like, I think that's what a lot of millennials were told, especially ones from like similar backgrounds as me and if you live by that you fall into a completely self-serving self-centered existence and this is what I've been talking about it in therapy I, I've basically been straight up like I'm sick of myself I'm sick of living for my for only myself mm. I want to find things find feedback loops and resources and objects of attention and affection in my life that aren't funneling back to me and funneling back to my work. And so I've been searching and I'm trying to get more back into doing activism and volunteering, which is something that I took like a huge, like angry, indignant step back from because I felt like I was being labeled and called upon to be an activist against my will because of who I was and whatever platform I was given. I was like, nope, not an activist. Sorry. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm literally just going to do me and I'm literally just going to like <laughs> find my joy. And like, you know, I still did stuff behind the scenes, but I wasn't public with it. <laughs> there have been some messy bitches who have come for me publicly about not speaking out enough and not doing enough in public. First of all, I did continue to hold it down in private for people in my community and like, you know, mm -hmm. donating to shit, GoFundMe and all. But like now I actually want to like get it a little bit more into the routine because I, I just I, I feel like I... I don't know. I feel like my adulthood has been so colored by these extremes and I've gone from one extreme to another extreme and I'm trying to find a happy medium mm -hmm. and that is in all aspects of my life, whether it's my work or my womanhood, my so-called identity, even my personal life. I just wanted to sit in a comfortable place where it's not all about me. It's not all about you. It's, I don't know. I'm 28. Mm -hmm. I'm looking. I'm looking for that balance. Mm. 27, 28 is like that is the time you are thinking about shit. <laughs> how How old are you, Puno? 36. Oh my god, cool! That's such a cool age. That's. I mean, number one, you look younger than I do. I know. So, <laughs> did you just say I know? I do. Did you just? Oh my God. I look like I'm 14. What are you talking about? Like when you <laughs> look like 14, you look younger than everybody. <laughs> well, I just play, I, I, I just played like 19 in a movie. So, oh, you know. I mean, girl, you look young. I'm just saying I look 14. <laughs> so that's fine. <laughs> and I act it too. So it's just like, you no, know. you don't tell me what you learned in the years between 28 and 36. I learned at 30. Um, that I I thought that I didn't give a fuck, but I, I had so much more potential than I was giving myself. Or in what uh, way? 
I don't mean about other people. I, I definitely mean about myself. A lot of these thoughts that were just coming in my head, worrying, a lot of worrying. I was just kind of, I was getting bored of myself being worried all the time. It's very exhausting. So I was like, I need, I'm, I'm going to stop doing that. Cause like, I don't give a fuck about my opinions in that sense of the world. Overthinking things was just too exhausting and is boring when you hear it in a loop over and over and over again. And then I also realized that I don't know myself as much as I think too, because I got a cat and I thought I hated cats for my entire life. Like I would be that, that person that would someone be like, Oh, I have, I have a cat. And then I would tell them, I'd tell them, Oh, I hate cats. Like what a mean person, you know? I, and that's just like the dog cat thing. Anyways, I got a cat. She ended up being my muse. She's like everything to me. I love cats. And I just went through a list of things that I was like, what do I think is so important to me? What do I think are things that I hate or that I'm allergic to, or I don't know, whatever. Like I just went through all of that and then started allowing myself to rethink the way that I think. And then the last thing was, you know, it's, it's a little bit of the don't give a fuck part, but I, I like do a little edible at night. Like I'll take like a 2.5 milligram situation and I'll just (laughs) go to places. Like I'll unlock certain things in my head that I'm just like, wow, cool. Like you're going there. Sometimes it doesn't make sense, but what it shows me is that I have that capacity in my brain to like go there. And I just need to figure out how to like do that in other ways. Go. Um, Dash. Well, okay. I want to, you were talking about pitching your, (laughs) your new TV show. Can we talk about that a little bit more? I mean, we can't like talk about the TV show because there is a very strong chance that it will just like sink into the lava and we'll never see the light of day. But like, we can talk about the themes that I'm touching on. It's also something that I would be attached to star in. And like, it's fabulous. I have a huge television production studio behind it. My idol, who I have idolized since I was eight years old, is attached to direct it. It's this sandcastle that I've been building for four years. So what do you You have to pitch then? What I think is that having a production company behind it means that it will be either completely or partially financed by the production company that is attached to it. So the only thing that we're asking for here is airtime and bandwidth. I, I think I try not to get too involved in the finance and business stuff, even though I should know about it. You know, so because so like, you're not shooting it yet, are you no. always tweaking it or are you, are you constantly trying to change it up or it's written, it's done? Like we basically just went out to our ideal scenarios mm-hmm. to start with all the big streamers and all the big premium cablers, all the ones that we thought this would be a fit for. I pitched the show in an earlier iteration without the studio and with a different executive producer to one of those premium cablers. And we went out to six or seven people. Other than the one that we had pitched before, only two new people wanted pitches. There were three networks who were just like, no, like we don't even want to pitch. I've been trying to get us to the point where we're pitch ready all through the pandemic, but it didn't become ready until just a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. This stuff moves so slowly and you have to be at peace with that. Is this the first thing you've written? I mean, I know you write a lot, yeah. but in terms of a, a script. Yeah. Like, I forget. This is literally the first thing I ever wrote. <laughs> <laughs> it's the first thing. I mean, all of these things that I've been talking about on this podcast about you know, looking critically at culture from within culture, mm-hmm. looking critically at feminism from within feminism, looking critically at entertainment from within entertainment, looking critically at womanhood from within womanhood. All of these things are things that I really started to think about in 2017 and 2016, I guess, when all of these labels and industries and identities and distinctions seem to be 
swelling themselves into a froth that made this explosive sort of entry point into a career for me at a comparably very young age. And I felt all of a sudden that a story that I thought that I was writing for myself was actually being written for me by other people, by men, by women who were more powerful than I was, by culture industry operators, decision makers, executives, male and female. So I started writing this thing to sort of reclaim the terms of my own being and more importantly, my own becoming because I wasn't done. And that's what this was. I mean, it was also just a relief to have my own little project outside of all the auditions and rejections and callbacks and rejections. It was so fun at the beginning, just like writing this thing with a friend and having it. And now it's turned into another audition. (laughs) And I'm like kind of fucking bummed about it. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I'm going to be thrilled about it if somebody picks it up. But I have to be realistic. And do I believe that it's going to happen? Like, yeah, sure. I believe it's going to happen. But it's it's not my choice. And I I have to trust that the universe is going to provide for me in whatever way it's going to. And even if this project peters out to nothing, I still learned so much about filmmaking and so much about screenwriting and so much about this industry and operating within it and collaboration that I'm going to apply to the next project. It's really down to the fucking wire. And I would love to be able to return to this podcast and tell you all about it and all about, you know, what happened after the green light. These things take years and years. And I'm just trying to go easy on myself with the expectations It's really some girl boss shit up in here. I am the leader of this ship and I have no idea what I'm fucking doing, babe. Like I am sitting in a position of authority where people's time and potentially their money. Yeah. There's already a little bit money invested in it in terms of my rewrites and my options exclusives, the WGA dues and all of that. Like, If somebody greenlights this, it's just going to get even scarier. True, because now it's moving. (laughs) I don't know what's scarier, getting what I want or not getting what I want. Would you write something else in the meantime? The playwright Jeremy O'Harris and I are writing a screenplay together. We're adapting an article that we got the rights to. Wow. Which um, could be really fun and could be really funny. But the thing that has been really important to us is that we're trying to adapt into a film and we don't want the film to be over $500,000 in budget. That's really the project where I'm eager to explore what doing it smaller is like. Mm -hmm. I mean, not that I, I mean, I don't know how to do it at all because I've literally never been greenlit for anything in my life, but like aiming so high so early I'm not sure I would recommend that to my younger self. Mm. I really admire Jeremy's path to where he's at with so much success, starting in the theater and allowing the theatrical space, which is not a money space, and much more about the work and much more about the innovation. He took the extremely innovative things he accomplished in that space to the mainstream. And I'm trying to like work in reverse in a way. My first job out of college landed me at the Emmys. Like that's cool. But I skipped a couple steps. <laughs> I, I feel like with I, that yeah. industry though, there really aren't there's steps sometimes for sure, but there's it's just like trap doors everywhere. But for for you as an actress writing, how has that helped you with the process? I mean, I think writing comes more naturally and easily to me than acting 
does, but um, writing is not a party. It is not a party. You are alone in front of that computer, honey, and <laughs> you are t- <laughs> you are toiling in that uncomfortable chair, honey, and yeah. you are on Adderall alone, honey, <laughs> and you are drinking that coffee alone, and it's not a party. What I like about performing and collaborating is that it's a party, and that's what's been so fun about writing this thing with Jeremy. That's more of a party. But also, you know, I, Jeremy, it's the first thing that I've actually co-written the show. I wrote in collaboration with two of my friends as consulting producers. But even with that, we were just having fun and playing games and creating in the early days. But then when it was like, oh, we're with a studio and it's time to pitch and it's time to make a deal and all this stuff, then it was like, okay, who was the creator? Who was the story by? Who's the executive producer? And who is the... It's like, I was like, oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. I... What? This is so nasty and gross. Because I hate this. Did I like have the idea for the show? Yes. Like, did I invite these people to come play in the world, but give contributions to it that are indispensable? Mm-hmm. And singular. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of, of 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 course. But creating like a hierarchy with like names and labels, producers, credits, which literally goes back to money. Right. Oh, that part of it just grosses me the fuck out. And that was a huge learning moment where I realized the boundaries that you have to have, even when you're creating with your friends. If you want to even get this stuff past the front door. You know, I, I've heard mm-hmm. that people lose friendships over this. People oh, of course. Lose life. Yeah, I know. But it's it's like, I don't want that to happen to me. I never want my work to get in the way of my friendships. Are you sure. fucking kidding me? Not over my dead body mm-hmm. is work ever going to destroy a friendship. And that's really where I realize what's important to me in this world. I would much rather have friends than a job. Always. Always. It's unfortunate because you don't know what expectations are on the line. And so, like, now you know, all right, before I talk to you, can we just, like, get this straight first? But you don't know that until later. And and it sucks, right? Because you're going to have to have that conversation so early when you're like, oh, I'm just riffing with you. But you're like, no, no, no. I, you never know. I'm going to have to just be a little serious right now because that's how it is. I've had to like do that a lot for little collaborations and just if if it wasn't talked about, then I'm not going to be nasty about it because I'm going to be real that that conversation didn't happen and the expectations were wrong on both ends. So whatever outcome is the best for both. And if that means that that other person gets the better end of it, but whatever, like if that kind of is it, I'm like you, I'm kind of like, ugh, fuck it. It's fine. Yeah. Like I, I wanted to be real about what my contribution was, but I also like wanted to honor the collaboration in a way that was transcendent of the producerial labels. And like talking to my lawyers and my managers and my agents and like all that stuff that I have that those two friends don't have. This would be if it becomes a real thing, their first Hollywood job. My people to talk to, a privilege to even have those people, were very straight up about the fact that it's like, oh, like it really is about experience. It really is about how much traction you have in the industry and yada yada. Like it really is so hierarchical in a way that turns me the fuck off and turns my stomach. And I found a way for boundaries to be drawn. You know, everybody gets their own lawyer. The credits are going to be what they're going to be, but I'm going to share financially if, if the nominal hierarchy of it all isn't giving, I'll find a way to you know, share my points or share my profit margins or mm-hmm. like whatever, like that. Yeah. It's just so much more important to me than money maintaining those friendships and those collaborators. Cause like, what do you, what do you really have without that? All right. I mean, now I just sound fucking kumbaya, but like, <laughs> well, I was about to, 
I, I mean, I think this process helped you really see that. I don't know if, I think I was reading something about the Duplass brothers and how they finance their movies. And they do something where like every, everybody gets paid 150 an hour, even if you're, you're like a janitor or, or you're a director. Um, and then they split, they do a split at the end if it gets picked up that's like supposed to be comparable for everyone. I, I need to look into that more, but I just remember that their whole thing too was just trying to make it like an investment for everybody on who's working on it versus it just being like, you're getting paid for your time to create this thing. And then afterwards, only a few people reap the benefits of it. I love those boys. <laughs> they know how to turn it out. I worked with Mark on Room 104. I also did a podcast that was produced by him that hasn't come out yet. And obviously I worked with Jay on Transparent. They get it done and they get cool shit made. And I really admire the corner of Hollywood that they've carved out for themselves. And I've never heard anyone say a bad word against them. So good. Um, I love that though. Yeah. I mean, it's... Hmm. Anything you can do to just simulate what, like, actual playtime would be like, anything that you can do to neutralize the hierarchies and the vulturation of it all and the money greediation of it all. Like, I love my team. Mm -hmm. I love my team. I trust my team. I'm also aware of the fact that my team's job is to make money from what I do. Mm-hmm. And that I, I really have to be my own independent kind of moral compass on these things, making my own decisions, which is why, regardless of how it turns my stomach, regardless of how, of how I feel about the principle of the thing, the principle about money, the principle about getting paid for something that should just be for free. I have to be a fucking girl boss <laughs> and I have to, I have to be informed about this shit mm-hmm. so that I can make sure that justice is served, not only to me, but to the people who I care about, because that's who I want to make things with. And that's who I'm going to make things with. I know we've already, we've already gone kumbaya, but What is your definition of success today? My definition of success today is a smile from somebody else. Oh. A sigh of relief from somebody else. A hug from somebody else. Mm. Um gratitude from somebody else for something that I did for them or helped them with. I'm really trying to see beyond the me of it all, Mm -hmm. the my career of it all, the level up of it all, the get more of it all, the lean in of it all. I'm really trying to see beyond that and see and, and and figure out how I can do the things I'm passionate about and not have my higher power be my own success in my own career. I don't know whether that means I have to go back to synagogue. I don't know whether that means I have to get a dog. I don't know whether it means I have to get a boyfriend. <laughs> I mean, I have friends and I have family I think it's really about getting out of me and getting into everyone else. It's the cult of the self, the cult of the individual that I have my little problems with. But it's a problem with myself, too, because that's what I grew up knowing and learning and what I was, like, deeply rewarded for at a very young age. The me of it all, the identity of it all. I'm trying to get out of that and see what lies beyond that. And I don't have all the answers today, but I'm working on it. And I'm like, 
in the mess, in the grease, figuring out what to do. And I have a meeting on the books next week with an organizer who pairs volunteers with trans women locally in New York who don't have anybody to take care of them Mm -hmm. after getting gender-affirming surgeries. This was a volunteer organization that my friend Devin, who I am now quoting again, told me about. And I was like, that sounds like a great idea. It's called Queer Care. That's just a step that I'm making toward filling my days with something where I am literally helping someone with something that I've gone through that I can be of service with that I was lucky enough to have support for. Like, who knows where, you know, what else I'm going to do, where else it's going to go, even if this is going to pan out. But I'm searching for something that isn't feeding back into the HN industrial complex. This is about making somebody else's life better. Well, Hari, this is so good. I had such a fun time chatting and getting cringy with you. Your girl boss friends are gonna be like, God damn. (laughs) Thanks thanks for letting me be spicy and letting me be real. I'm really grateful that you had me on. You're so easy to talk to and such a great host. And uh, I hope you get that red hat and that red trench coat, (laughs) Miss Puno, (laughs) Miss Carmen San Diego. If you guys weren't Hari fans before, I'm sure you are now. So you should definitely check out her Instagram account, Hari Neff, H-A-R-I-N-E-F. And she's got all of her writings on there too. And her highlights is right there. I'm looking at it. We're gonna be watching out for that show, Hari. Mm-hmm. And the best way that you can support Girl Boss Radio is by subscribing to this podcast. Mm-hmm. And if you're really loving this episode, we would love a review. There's a hardworking team behind the scenes, and those reviews really warm our hearts and our creative juices. I mean, our love language is words of affirmation. But like, whose isn't? <laughs> Who doesn't love that? And don't forget to peek at our newsletter, the Girl Boss Daily. There's so much goodness packed in that daily newsletter from what's going on in the news to what's that funny thing that everybody's laughing at. We even spotlight female-founded businesses, and there's just a ton of great books, music, jobs. It's super cute. There's a lot in there, so make sure to subscribe. Girl Boss Radio is a production of I Love Creative Studio, original music composed by Nija. This episode was produced by Carly Pryor, Christopher Olin, Stephanie Aguilar, and Imani Leonard with help from Vinay Shaw. This episode was mixed by Stephanie Aguilar, fresh off a mountain retreat where she collected some sounds of nature. <sighs> Our editorial director is Clemence, and thank you to Taylor, Nora Agency, and Kaylee. Thank you so much. See you next week. <laughs>